broadband. We need it for work and for school, for our health and our economy. What's being done to bring broadband internet access within reach of every American? Let's talk about it now on Rural Broadband Today. Here's your host, Stephen Smith. Hello, thanks for listening in today. My guest is Gary Bolton. He is the president and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. And in this interview, we talk about the benchmark set by the FCC to define broadband uh, and the implications that this has for solving uh, the digital divide. Gary also shares some of his thoughts on why 2021 could be the biggest year ever for fiber investment, which is very good news for uh, those rural Americans who are still waiting on a fiber connection. So here's my interview with the Fiber Broadband Association's Gary Bolton. And I'm excited to have as our guest today, uh, Gary Bolton. Uh, Gary, welcome to the show. Thanks, Stephen. Great to be here. Tell us a little bit about the uh, Fiber Broadband Association, what your membership uh, consists of, and uh, what the focus of the association is. Sure, Stephen. Yeah, so the Fiber Broadband Association, well, there's a global Fiber the Home Council, um, and so there's uh, chapters around the world. But uh, So our chapter in the Americas, uh, which I'm the CEO of, is um, covers both um, North America, which we have about 250 uh, companies, and then a little over 100 companies in Latin America. And so, what our uh, we are, represent the full ecosystem of from service providers to um, suppliers to deployment to, uh, consultants um, to every aspect from a ditch witch plowing in a you know the, the fiber to the people that in, install the fibers to the consultants that um, design the networks and engineers to, you know, companies like Corning or OFS that um, build fiber. And then to service providers could be anything from a, a rural electric co-op to a municipality to a Verizon or Google. And so, um, for example, our chairman is Katie Espeth of EPB up just up the road for you, Stephen, in Chattanooga, you know, the, um, Mm-hmm. Electric Power Board, and you know, as you know, that was one of the first gigabit cities in the world, and now ten gig city. So, it, anyway, we we represent that whole ecosystem, and our mission is really to help prom- accelerate the deployment of fiber optics you know, for broadband communication. And you've certainly seen the activity in that area increase in the last uh, ten years, five years in particular, haven't you? Well, absolutely. So the organization's been around for about 20 years, uh, you know, back in the early days when, you know, right after the internet, um, you know, started to get some legs. And what we're seeing now is, uh, you know, we saw a tremendous amount of growth. Um, today, you know, about 40% of America has uh, fiber availability. There's about, um, you know, a little over 50 million homes that are passed and 22 and a half million homes that are connected. So we're making some really good strides. And matter of fact, 2021 uh, should be the largest fiber deployment year in history, and mm. which shouldn't be too surprising coming off, uh, or I hope we're coming off a pandemic. But, uh, you know, I think everybody is uh, keenly aware of uh, how critical um, having robust uh, communications is when you're working from home and doing online schooling and trying to 
telehealth and, you know, all the things that, um, you know, we've had to accelerate over the last, um, you know, I guess 2020 since April is everybody's become experts at zoom and, and all kinds of collaborative tools. Yeah, absolutely. And that really brings us to, um, the topic of the day is we, as we look at all the, uh, the rapid changes that we have seen, uh, acceleration, I guess is, is really the key word there. Uh, these were trends that were certainly happening, but, uh, the pandemic really accelerated those. And, and last month you submitted, uh, the fiber broadband association along with NTCA, the rural broadband association submitted uh, a letter to the FCC. And uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, how that came about, uh, the intent of the letter and how the partnership with the NTCA came about. Sure. Um, yeah. So Stephen, you know, every year, so Congress, you know, the part of the telecom act, there's a uh, section 706. Uh, and so every year the uh, FCC needs to report to Congress on, you know, as uh, advanced commu- telecommunications capabilities to all Americans being deployed in a reasonable and timely fashion. And where the trick is this is how do you define advanced telecommunications uh, capability? And so the, today, the FCC defines it as 23 megabits of downstream capacity and 3 megabits of upstream. And so if you think about, you know, where does that crazy number come from? And, you know, about a decade ago, there, you know, um, the FCC, through Laird Levin, um, created what's, what was called the National Broadband Plan. And back, you know, which it seems like it was yesterday, but back, you know, a decade ago, um, the, the definition of broadband was in the, you know, 760 kilobits to about a one megabit, you know, so when we thought about broadband, we we're thinking about one meg and I, I would, we would be in really big trouble if the pandemic had happened a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we've seen is that that went from, you know, one meg to, you know, we started to see the FCC's definition and went to, uh, four meg. Uh, downstream and one meg upstream, and then eventually to 10-1, and then to 25-3. And so you might wonder, you know, why why is this asymmetric? Why is it, you know, like this 10-to-1 ratio between downstream and upstream? And if you, there's really two reasons for that. Um, One is, you know, when the internet, you know, back in the mid-90s, and we started going the internet, as you may recall, we had these little modems that we analog modems we put on our phone line, right? We had our lifeline phone, twisted pair, mm-hmm. and we'd modulate over that uh, voice band and uh, we would get, you know, um, you know, 50 meg or 50 kilobits or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so as we grew, we went to a new technology called DSL. And so what this was is trying to modulate, um, you know, the data part of the, the um, you know, your telephone network, across your phone line into with using more spectrum, right? So if you think about, you know, your dial on your car radio, you know, the you know, more channel, the more spectrum you have, right? The more channels you can have. So, it, you know, so techniques to get more spectrum. So the net of this is to be able to have higher downstream capacities. You had to um, lower your upstream because if you can think about, um, you know, if you had your string with two, uh, you know, two cans and a string between that and you were trying to shout at the same time, you're not going to hear anything. And so what you want to do is kind of shout loud from one end and, and softly from another 
and that way you can go for a longer distance. Mm-hmm. You know, another way to think of this is, you know, if you're going into um, Nashville and it's rush hour and uh, you got 10 lanes to use and uh, you put nine lanes going into the city and one lane coming out in the morning and then you'd probably switch them around the other way, right? Just to, you only have so much highway and you're trying to get as much traffic going in, you know, the rush hour direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that was kind of the way it started. And that's where this, you know, how do we get more, what's called rate reach, you know, higher bandwidth over longer distance over a you know piece of copper or coax, you know, over your cable network or over your, your twisted pair, um, you know, voice network. Well, you know, over time, that whole voice network has disappeared and everything has gone to internet protocol, voice over IP and so forth. And so now it's a data network. And so it's really antiquated. And so when you look at fiber is a, you know, a medium that gives you, you know, nothing goes faster than the speed of light. And now you're being able to deliver um, unconstrained bandwidth that can go uh, at some metric speeds. That means that you're not um, having being, you know, limited to 10% of your capacity in the upstream basis. And so why is this important is, you know, in the last, um, you know, since April, I guess, uh, when we've all been working from home, it's been really important, right? Because, you know, I never used Zoom before April and I use it 50 times a day now, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're doing our Zoom conferences, you know, we're doing telehealth sessions, uh, UAB, just down the road from you, Stephen, mm-hmm. they, before April, they were doing four telehealth sessions a day. Now they do 1,100. And so wow. if you're sitting there talking to your doctor on a two-way video, if you're trying to do any uh, medical imaging, um, even if you're trying to upload your YouTube videos from, you know, whatever the kid's soccer game or whatever you happen to do, you know, all of a sudden, if you're trying to upload files, this upstream becomes critically important so if you look at you know the bandwidth has been growing now at a rate of about 20 to 40 percent per year and so when you know you if you go to the congress and say oh yeah everybody has broadband you know we're doing a great job of ramping it out and it's measured on 25 megabits downstream three you know we just don't think that's appropriate you know we if you know, right now what we're seeing is that for a family of four, based on our technology committee study, is that you, you need today, just today, um, well, end of 2020, um, 85 megabits downstream and 50 megabits upstream. Hmm. And by the end of the decade, we're going to need two gigabits upstream and two gigabits downstream. So two gig symmetric. So, um, you know, I think that you know, so the message that, you know, what we, with um, Fiber Broadband Association and NTCA uh, sent to um, the FCC is that, you know, you need to look at a gigabit symmetric today and at minimum 100 meg symmetric rather, you know, rather than this very antiquated standard. Right. Not only is that standard, uh, the, the asymmetrical standard antiquated, like you said, because technology doesn't drive that anymore. But the usage patterns now are really driving the need for that um, uh, symmetrical connection. Um, though I heard it put well uh, recently. Someone said that we've really switched from being consumers across the Internet 
to producers. And I think that touches a lot on what you're saying there about being on the Zoom calls, for instance. I mean, that's you're, well, you're producing at that point. Exactly. If you can think of uh, the Internet in three waves, right? And so the first wave back in the 90s was kind of the you know, on-ramp to the information superhighway, right? And that was just, you know, we'd dial in and, and, and be able to go on. And then what we saw kind of in the 2000s was that we started to build upon that, right? And that's where we started seeing social media and started getting into mobile networks and, and so forth. And now we're moving into the third phase, which is the internet is really the fabric of our lives. You know, our doorbells are streaming all day long, you know, we have everything connected. Um, you know, it's pretty hard to do anything without being connected to the internet, right? Whether you want to be able to, um, you know, drive down your car and, and look at a Google map and, and see where you're going to, um, you know, like I, I got a new computer and my hard drive is online, right? So everything is on the cloud. So if I'm accessing my data, it's no longer sitting resident on my PC. And so we're just, you know, in a different, um, era and that and that's going to accelerate going forward you start looking at things like you know we went from high def tvs to 4k now we're going to 8k tv um, so if you're starting to now stream things in 8k that takes up an incredible amount of bandwidth mm-hmm. um, so it's it just it's going to be uh, more important um, just even broadband in general you know other things that um, you know look at is some economic development perspective, you know, when you go to buy a home right now, that the, like if you're in rural America, you know, when someone goes to say, where am I going to live? And, and now that we're moving to a, I can work from anywhere, um, you know, economy is, you know, I'm not stuck in a city, you know, I don't have to go to an office, right? I can be able to work for anywhere. So if I want to you know, live in Rainsville, I can be able to do that. And so the number one things that people look at is, you know, is it, a safe street. I want a community. It's going to be safe for my children. But the second thing they look at is that what is the broadband connectivity? Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you go to buy your house, uh, it's also the second thing. You know, the first thing you look at is the laundry. The second thing you look at is, you know, does this neighborhood have broadband? And that's the head of, you know, the, the great room, mm-hmm. um, you know, you know, looking at even the behavior in our homes, you know, we've gone, um, now we're, um, online, online, 6.1 hours per day. And so, you know, we need to be able to have, um, you know, be able to work from home, do, you know, video gaming, upload files, you know, even upload um, YouTubes or, you know, like I said, on you know, storage you know, on, on that and so forth. So uh, Gary, tie this back to the practical issue of funding, because someone may hear this conversation and think, but what does it matter what speeds we use to define broadband? Because, you know, fiber's there, broadband is broadband. Why is it so important that the FCC has these benchmarks? Yeah, so uh, that's kind of a, a really important um, point, Stephen. The, so, you know, with the FCC and, you know, the government in general is saying, okay, if we're going to try to um, put out funding for rural broadband, you know, do we spread it like peanut butter, right? So do we say that, and, and, and we saw this with the RDOF auction. And so what, um, so the, you know, one kind of what the, the previous thought pattern was is it's better for 
every you know rural America get something than nothing, right? So if we you know keep the the, the benchmark low, and uh, you know they can get some level of connectivity, and maybe that's through some type of satellite or fixed wireless or something, um, you know, and that's really not the case, right? It's you're not any better off having bad broadband than no broadband. You know, you're not going to be able to work from home. You're not going to attract um, companies to your communities. You're not going to be able to have rural uh, remote health care. All those things, you know, I teach at um, the university here. And, you know, we basically got notified in um, last spring uh, on a Friday that the whole university was going online on Monday. And, you know, this, you know, um, have to figure out, well, gee, I don't have great broadband in my house. How am I going to you know, teach my classes online? And so it's, and so I, I think that that kind of thought um, process really got blown out of the water with the pandemic and people really needing to be able to be productive and efficient um, from home. And so when we look at, um, you know, the, the, the latest um, federal subsidies is through the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund. RDOF. And so we had um, a $16 billion auction, which sounds great. Um, they, they, and they, the FCC went and um, created a gigabit tier. And so basically, if you wanted to get the most, the maximum amount of money, you would have to bid a network that was going to deliver gigabit services. And then they would have different, you know, uh, three different other tiers um, that would be get, you know, as much as only 10% of the budget. You know, like if you did a wireless or something like that, or, uh, you know, a, a very low um, bandwidth tier. Mm-hmm. So what happened is they went to the auction, awarded $9 billion, and 85% of the winning bidders were in the gigabit tier, right? And so, you know, awesome, right? Rural America is going to get gigabit services. Mm-hmm. But what we found is, you know, the, the operators that are uh, the bidders that were bidding they bid things like wireless and uh, low earth orbit satellite. And so you're looking at, we saw a lot of private equity and um, companies that were just recently formed with like eight or nine um, employees winning large segments of the country uh, based on these technologies that um, it's going to be very difficult to be able to deliver that. And so, I think the, uh, you know, so what we're looking at right now is these, all the winning bidders um, are going to have to file their long form applications um, with the FCC on January 29th. And so what we're looking for is the FCC to highly scrutinize any winning application, um, long form application that isn't using a fiber network. And because we know that fiber can deliver that quality, uh, high quality, low latency, and high performance broadband. Um, so on fixed wireless, you know, there are times when, you know, if you can get fiber very close to a customer, to a subscriber, um, and then be able to, you know, maybe there's a lake and you have to shoot across the lake with a wireless signal or, you know, but you'd have to have line of sight, you know, it has to have just the right parameters and conditions to be able to connect that uh, rural subscriber. Um, so that is a path to fiber because, what we've seen from service providers is those that are deploying fixed wireless access, you know, they are very motivated to get fiber at home because as soon as they get 
fiber all the way to home, their their customer service center, you know, their phone stopped ringing. You know, they're not right. having people complaining about the service, and so they know that you know, as soon as they get fiber all the way, you know, the phones are quiet. Um, doing a giving money to Elon Musk to put more Leo satellites in orbit um, is literally stranding our federal um, rural dollars in space, mm. you know, because that's a, it's a path to nowhere. You, the only way to improve the performance of a Leo satellite is to darken the skies with more satellites. And so that's very, very concerning that, um, you know, this is an unproven technology and it certainly um, isn't going to be able to provide the same, you know, we're trying to eliminate the real divide, not um, increase it. And so, you know, the whole thing about economics saying, well, gee, if, if I could just have an antenna that covers this massive uh, landmass or put up a, a satellite in the sky and, uh, you know, we're all good. That's uh, really, really concerning um, to rural America. And, you know, I think we have a, a great opportunity coming off the pandemic. What we're seeing is that two thirds of workers will not go back to the office the way they were before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, all the surveys I've seen show that uh, a third of employees say I'm more productive at home and uh, this works for me and I want to be able to live anywhere I want. And so um, I'd like to continue working from home full time. Another third say, you know, I do like going in the office. I like hanging around the water cooler, going to lunch with people. So if I could work from home two, three, four days a week and come to the office a few days a week, that would be the best of both worlds. And then, you know, that last third is I, I really like being at the office. And so if you think of two thirds of our workforce going to be working from home, um, they're not going to be living in rural America if they don't have robust broadband. Mm, you're absolutely right. I know the FCC has, um, you know, really stressed the fact that the decisions of um, you know, granting funds needs to be technologically uh, neutral. But you make a good point that there are some technologies that just cannot provide the bandwidth that we that we really need out there. And I think some of those you mentioned the the Leo satellites, some of those initial tests, those speeds were. Uh, we're very disappointing, I think. Yeah, that, that, that's a, a, a big hole. And the, and the LEO satellites were in the 100 meg tier. Um, so it, it's just not a, a good solution for what, you know, um, rural America needs. You know, so what we're, we're definitely going to encourage the FCC to, um, you know, carefully scrutinize. So the good news is the process the FCC has in place is a good one. You know, so uh, before you are awarded your funds, you have to go through a very strenuous, long-form process, have your networks um, certified by uh, an engineer, and the FCC is going to go look and make sure that performance is going to deliver what um, the winning bidder is promising to deliver. Uh, So we are definitely uh, working, going to be working with the FCC to make sure that they have the tools they need to be able to vet these network designs to make sure they deliver. Uh, but the one thing that we de- definitely know for sure is if you have a fiber network, you are going to have the optimal performance. You know, it's the fastest, nothing's faster than the speed of light. Um, it's, 
you know, from a maintenance perspective, it's going to be the lowest maintenance for a service provider. It's from a, um, you know, a security, it's more secure from a durability, uh, reliability, you know, so every possible parameter latency, um, the fiber is the gold standard. And so anything else is, you know, you might have to, you know, you can't use, you know, a single tool in your toolbox, right? So there are going to be topologies. Like you said, you might be in a situation where you're deploying and you have to get across the lake and you need to use wireless to get across the lake until you can build out your fiber. You know, so there are times when you have to use other technologies, Mm -hmm. but those technologies need to be, you know, so if I look at um, the connect America funds, right. And that's where we started off at four one and and 10 one and 25 three and, you know, and those were largely DSL networks. All that investment went in to build the fiber middle mile and put fiber out to the node. And it kept, it, it progressed while it didn't deliver the fiber to home day one. It put in a lot of fiber to get fiber out as close to the, the rural communities as possible. And then, so then when, you know, we're able to, um, as, you know, people subscribe and they're able to, um, you know, have the revenue to be able to continue the, that network. It put these subscribers or these operators in position. Um, you know, we did see a lot of those people that took that money, those companies went bankrupt. Um, you know, those tier twos, mm-hmm. Frontier, Windstream and so forth. And so now they've emerged debt free from bank restructuring. And now they're being, uh, doing big fiber deployments because what they saw is if you didn't have uh, fiber to a subscriber, you lost subscribers. And so um, they lost a lot of their subscribers to cable. And now that we're going more symmetric, we're seeing that cable now is um, going to be having to move over from these DOCSIS networks to fiber access because of the demands on upstream. Mm. Gary, what are you hearing from your members about the challenges that the pandemic has brought their way? Well, you know, as far as um, it's kind of twofold, right? On, so on one side, no one asks why fiber anymore. You know, it's, it's really kind of crystallized the need for fiber deployment. And so, you know, you, you see, um, we've seen a lot of tailwinds in that. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, uh, we believe 2021 will be the largest investment in fiber in history. And so when we look at all the CapEx deployment, um, that should really accelerate this year from, you know, um, service providers of all sizes. Mm-hmm. You know, the challenges that um, the pandemic has created is, um, you know, largely supply chain issues, uh, workforce issues. So, you know, given that we're in a big beginning of a big um, fiber investment cycle, we have to have qualified fiber professionals that can be able to get that fiber out and deployed. We have to make sure that we have enough of the um fiber itself and the, you know, um, all the other technologies, electronics and so forth. And so, you know, overcoming a lot of supply chain issues, but I know that, you know, if you go to buy anything these days, you, you can see that there is some challenges there, but I I'd say that the, you know, the silver linings of the pandemic is one is the timing. Yeah. Like I said, we wouldn't have been able to um, survive the pandemic a decade ago. You know, um, so we're, I think we're right on the cusp of, you know, having enough, um, you know, the, the network robust enough to be able to allow people 
to work from home, go to school from home, to be able to conduct, you know, keep businesses afloat and the economy afloat with um, the current broadband infrastructure. And it also accelerated the adoption of these collaborative technologies and tools. You know, it's, it's very unusual for me to have a meeting that's not on Zoom or Teams or some kind of, you know, collaborative video conference today. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's very used to using collaborative and online tools. You know, everything's gone online. You know, you can't even get an exercise bicycle like a Peloton that's not connected to the internet. You know, so, you know, you've seen the model, um, you know, change, you know, what you were talking about consumers and producers. So even if you're just riding your Peloton, you're becoming a producer of data, mm-hmm. right? And you're riding with other people, I guess, in the, the network. So it's, it's really become, um, you know, pulled the world together from a, a virtual, you know, video perspective. Um, but, you know, I, I think that there's a, um, you know, and the other part I really like is the, the, the ability to now work from anywhere and to demonstrate that we can uh, be able to be productive in our careers and our jobs, you know, working from you know, places we, where we want to live. And, uh, you know, these beautiful rural communities that don't have that broadband infrastructure in place, that don't have the fiber in place, you know, it doesn't allow that to happen. And so I think that, you know, it's critically important that these rural communities don't get relegated to inferior um, means of deploying um, broadband. You know, they need to be able to, if, if they're at 100 meg today and they need to be at 2 gigabit in 10 years, uh, and beyond, um, they need to have a path to get there. Mm. So, in closing, Gary, what what are your hopes for the new FCC? We'll have a we'll have a new chairman of the FCC, and uh, already have one new member, and um, we under a new administration. What, what are your hopes for that agency moving forward? Well, yes, it's definitely going to be a new FCC. Uh, you know, so Chairman Pai um, is exiting. And so we'll definitely have a new chairman. Um, you know, it could be Jessica Rosenworcel or, you know, but it's definitely going to be one of the Democrats. Um, you know, we did just um, add a new member to the FCC. It, you know, so unfortunately, I think um, one of the things that's going to bubble up as a top item will be net neutrality again. You know, every administration change, you know, that seems to bubble back up, um, which can be a real distraction. But I think the FCC um, understands how critical, you know, with the pandemic has you know, really shined a bright light on how critical, um, you know, broadband is for rural America. And so I think that we will see, um, you know, the FCC's, you know, hopefully stay on track and, and, and do the right things to, to help, um, you know, put out more subsidies and, um, you know, programs in place to be able to address, you know, rural America. And it's not just the FCC, you know, the USDA, RUS, you know, they've had the reconnect program that's been very successful. Again, you know, Chad Roop was the administrator, you know, he'll be, um, you know, leaving and, you know, a new, you know, within the Biden administration, they'll put a new administrator in and, uh, you know, we hope that all that momentum, has, you know, with the reconnect program and other broadband programs, we're also seeing Congress, um, you know, um, fiber, you know, we were with the transition com- committee, 
you know, we're getting a lot of inquiries on, you know, I think they're looking at legislation that they're going to position as jobs bills. And what they um, see is that fiber delivers jobs. And so they're asking us questions of, you know, for a million dollars investment in fiber, you know, how many jobs does that produce? What kind of jobs? And we've been providing input on position profiles and the type of jobs that that would create. And so I think while the, um, the recent COVID legislation that happened right um, during the Christmas holiday period um, was not so much on infrastructure, I think you'll see um, some legislation comes out that will be a focus on infrastructure. So again, we have, we're having a, we're at the beginning of a big investment cycle on fiber. Um, while it's great that we got $9 million, $9 billion going into the first, um, you know, phase of RDOF, the, you know, the job's not done. You know, we, we really need, you know, the states to step up to be able to, you know, deliver more um, subsidies to be able to get rural broadband out. And we need to make sure that um, the networks that are getting built are ones that are going to serve uh, rural subscribers, not just for today or tomorrow, but, you know, this, you know, bandwidth, the, our bandwidth demand is going to just continue to increase. And we need to have that robust infrastructure in place so that we can all live wherever we want and, you know, places we enjoy and be able to, you know, have the quality of life, whether it's education, healthcare, employment, you know, whole economic development. And that's really driven by, you know, getting more fiber out there. Mm. Well said, well said. Gary, thank you so much for sharing your perspective with us today and, uh, and coming on to the show. Enjoyed having you. Steven, I enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I hope that all your, your listeners, uh, if they have any questions or anything that we can help, um, I can always be contacted at the uh, Fiber Broadband Association, fiberbroadband.org. And um, again, thank you again for having me. Absolutely. And thank you for listening to Rural Broadband Today, where we take a look at the people and issues shaping the rural broadband story across America. I'm your host, Stephen Smith. This program is produced by WordSouth, a content marketing company. Please share this episode with your network and help us tell the rural broadband story. Rural Broadband Today is a production of WordSouth, a content marketing company.